problem is, is the majority of Russia believes what they're doing is right. They believe that they're saving the people of Ukraine. From what? Um, from this neo-Nazi um, fake government that's come in and taken over Ukraine. Okay. That's what they've been told mm-hmm. by their media. And, and th- th- now we hit the biggest problem, controlled media. Russian people consume, when it comes to news, it's 70% TV and all their channels are controlled in Russian media. There's mm-hmm. one that tries to push back and they've got immense pressure on them. So if you're fed certain media every day, for example, Fox News, um, you're going to believe that. Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. Today's episode touches on some sensitive topics, including the ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine. Generally speaking, we don't discuss geopolitics or regional conflict on the podcast, but an opportunity came up to speak to my good friend Andrew English, who happens to have spent many years as a young man working at Rupli and RT, the Russian state-controlled international television network funded by the Russian government. Andrew has some amazing insights to share about his time working for Rupli and RT, and in particular, some thinking around how the media shapes our understanding of global events. He shares his views on what Putin and the Russians may be thinking as part of this war, and also reflects on the plight of the Ukrainian people, many of whom he has spent time with as a journalist over the years. Andrew and I became good mates during our time at the Commons, and have together shared many group discussions about local and international politics, shaped by a turbulent couple of years. He's probably covered more interesting and world-changing global events over his career than any of us will experience firsthand in our collective lifetimes. He's now the founder at Goss4 Media, where he produces cinematic-style epic video campaigns for leading brands. He's about to head to the US soon with his lovely wife and partner in crime, Ari, and two boys under two, to pursue some new entrepreneurial ventures. So we'll get into that later too on the podcast. For this episode, I just want to note that both Andrew and I are deeply sensitive to what is happening in the Ukraine, and our deepest hopes and aspirations are with the Ukrainian people for a peaceful resolution of the conflict and for a swift Russian withdrawal and ceasefire as soon as possible. I've removed all promotions and ads for this episode given the serious nature of parts of this conversation. Also, I want to personally apologise for perhaps a bit of insensitivity on my behalf for promoting the launch of our new membership platform during such a challenging time. As a final disclaimer, Andrew and I are not experts on history, politics, or this conflict, nor do we purport to be. We're just two friends discussing our perspectives and personal reflections on a very difficult situation. We don't discuss this in our podcast, but I have some close personal ties to the Ukraine. My late grandfather Solomon was born to a Jewish family in a farm in Nikolaev, Ukraine, which has variously been in the hands of the Ukraine and the USSR over time. He never had a birth certificate, so we don't know exactly when he was born or how old he was when he died. He later emigrated with his father Maora to Perth, Western Australia, where he became a dock worker and then a wool farmer. At that time, the portmaster decided that his original name was way too hard to pronounce and gave him the name Davis, which we retain with pride to this day. This is not an uncommon story for Jewish people that emigrated to Australia during this period. Solomon Rufus Davis had an incredible legacy following his early days in Perth, and I changed my middle name about seven years ago now to Solomon to recognise my grandfather, his heritage, his example, and our family history. Maybe this helps to explain my complex personal perspective on events unfolding abroad, and in particular, this conflict. Thanks for listening to my personal aside, and I hope you're going to enjoy this conversation with Andrew as much as I did. So, what a pleasure... Andrew English, the man, the, the mission, the, the identity, the personality. We've waited a long time to do this. I've tried to twist your arm for probably a good six months, but I'm glad you joined me in the comments today to record this podcast. How are you? Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I'm good. I'm happy to be here, mate. You enjoy the pump up there? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. actually um, quite a funny story about um, how we met and subsequently have become uh, pretty good mates. Like I remember um, vividly one day when it was really the um, the middle of COVID, like peak COVID, and somehow we were all essential workers just wandering around the, the space. Um, and it was you, me, Andrew too, and, uh, and I think uh, Josh White. And we, we, we just sort of like you were in the hallway one day, you looked exhausted and you were carrying your dog, uh, Linus, and I just thought – He's a guy who wants to have a chat. 
<laughs> so I pulled you up and obviously you just had your, your second um, kid, uh, Quinton, and, you know, two under two, and um, you really opened up to me about um, fatherhood and what it's like, and I think that was just the start of a, a good friendship. Mate, I really needed someone to speak to. <laughs> <laughs> Through COVID, God, it was like a ghost town, wasn't it? Yeah, and we, oh. we, we actually made a, a WhatsApp group following that called the uh, Commons COVID Survivors, which is basically on based on zombie land, kind of the leftover people lurking around huge buildings trying to survive, <laughs> trying to find coffee places that are open, uh, very post-apocalyptic. Um, but much bigger things going on in the world today. Um, but before we get into that, um, why don't you take us through a little bit of your journey? I mean, you know, from, from a cursory look at your um, your background, you've done so much. You started in short filmmaking to video journalism to creative production um, and and all manner of things in between. Take us back and sort of talk to us about the humble beginnings and the journey since. Oh, wow. Um I really, it, it cast me back to when I first moved to Berlin, actually. I was about 26 um, and I moved there to really do filmmaking. And, yeah, that's what I did. It was great. Um, so many creative people in Berlin, very cool, very hipster. It was really... It's known as one of the cool cities in the world. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. But um, I was about two years in and I'd done a few commercials as well and a friend's girlfriend had seen them and she said, oh, great, I saw all your work and, and your films and... I'd love to like offer you a potential job. And we're sitting at this smoky bar in um, Berlin, as you do, everyone smokes and having a beer. And I said, sure, what's the job? And she said, oh, it's a video journalist for news. And I sort of uh, was a bit like, oh, wow, you make a couple of ads, do some films and you get offered a video journalist job. That's how it all happens. <laughs> get minted in Berlin. Yeah. But um, learning a bit more about it, I, I took it and, and I got involved and it was just like a whirlwind journey for two years. And who was that with? Uh, that was actually with Rupley, which is uh, owned by Russia too, but the little brother of RT. Mm-hmm. So they provide all the footage and everything for RT as, as, as well as all the other um, Russian state news in Russia. Wow. Um, there's so much to get into there. So what was it like, uh, initial impressions of working overseas for a Russian uh, news agency? So initially I was a bit ignorant and I thought it was just great to sort of show that other side and, um, you know, the money was great, the budgets were good. Um, I was able to travel all around Europe. Um, Yeah, so it was an incredible experience and a real almost opportunity. Um, But as time went on, the Ukraine war started. Um, It was first the protests, of course. So that was all happening while I was working there. The people were protesting. Is it the Orange Revolution or...? Um, yeah, that's it, yep. in, in Kiev. And, and, and that would have been Timoshenko at the time or something. Exactly. Yep. Um, building the uh, – geez, you know your politics. Oh. Dropping names like it's – Just just like done my like Ukraine that. background. You told me you studied all night last night, so I got up early <laughs> and hit the books. Um, you'll remember they built like a catapult yep. with fire. It was intense and then we it's had like Game the of Thrones Ops. shit. Yeah, the Black Ops were coming in and people knew they were from Russia and – they really demonstrated even back then they were willing to fight to not be controlled by a puppet government from, mm. from Russia. So um, I never actually went there to cover that because I couldn't get my visa. That was too big a lineup in Berlin. But I was covering, yeah, all sorts. Like I went to the World Cup. Um, I covered Mandela in South Africa, Gee. which was, yeah, amazing. Um, I did, you know, I was traveling constantly. I actually met my wife in Turkey, as you know, mm. um, covering um, Erdogan and the protests there and, um, and I also followed Lavrov, who's still around, and Kerry, who was Obama's right-hand man, mm. um, foreign minister, um, for peace talks with Ukraine. And I did that a lot too. Gee. So um, there was a lot of sitting around and waiting around in rooms. And it's funny that it still hasn't sorted itself out. Somehow. Well, I mean, it's remarkable. And I mean, there's many points of divergence, but I suppose the first one would be good things seem to happen to you in smoky alcohol-filled bars. Yeah. <laughs> That's my element, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I really miss it these days. <laughs> Career opportunities, marriage, lots of fantastic things happen to you in these places. So yeah. that's that's a good background to know for a video <laughs> producer creative. That's the space. So you, you made a really interesting film at that time, a short film about um, Russia and Ukraine and the Russian sort of um, influence in the media. And there's, there's a fantastic quote that came out of that. You, you say, don't forget, the freedom of press is limited to those few who own it. 
And I just wonder if you could reflect on that a little bit, like in light of where you came to to be working for Russia TV and noting that probably as a 26-year-old male, um, you know, your brain has just start, stopped forming um, and is, you know, you're, you're now um, in a place to cast more critical judgment on, on things and how um, the new cycle is created. Um, yeah, if you can just speak to that a little bit and that experience for you. Sure. So I think the last six months and up to when I left, I started to really notice um, what was happening in RT and Rupley and and the propaganda that was sort of um, implemented there. Um, it became more and more apparent to me, right? So when I left as a filmmaker, I was just desperate to tell this story and also to include, you know, how exciting it is as a video journalist to, you know, especially a war journalist, which it is about. It's about a German um, journalist and a Russian cameraman traveling together um, covering the war in Ukraine. And the whole idea was to make a feature after the short and it was super successful and goes to Cannes, we get funded and boom. And now to come to think of it, it would probably be the perfect time to do that. But You should now go to Netflix and say, I've had this idea. Um, right. It came third place in, in, in that your third prize in the, in the competition and we think it's pretty good and we want to. it's time to develop this into a miniseries. It's not a bad idea, man. Yeah, yeah I mean, I uh, hate to profit off gloom and doom, but um, it is <laughs> fascinating. I wonder how it feels for you sort of that you made a fictionalised piece like that and then all these years later it happened. Did you always expect this to happen? No, I never expected Russia to invade Ukraine, not at all. Um, I was really trying to push the point across that um, you can't believe everything that you hear in mm. the news from both sides, mm. actually, and um, and to really cover that, that war in Ukraine and the excitement about it. Um, but, yeah, all these years later, it's incredible that this has sort of happened. Um, and it's so good to see, like, one positive that's come out of this, I'd say, is it's so good to see people talking about, like RT and Sputnik has been banned from yesterday mm. in the whole of Europe. Wow. Um, so they're off the air. Mm. They're in trouble. Um, and so now I think the focus is just on what the the news of the people of Russia, that is that what they're seeing and trying to infiltrate that through social media mm. or whatever and to, to sort of help them recognise what's really going on. Yeah, and like a lot of um, citizen journalism, which is interesting, I think we discussed earlier that this is probably the first Europe, well, it is the first European war where there's full social media and citizen journalism playing a key role in reporting the facts on the ground. Absolutely. Yeah, go TikTok. It's, um, that's where I get a lot of my latest stuff. Um, hold your phone up. A bomb goes off and post it. It's incredible. It's insane. It's yeah. insane access. And I mean, almost the problem now is you're buried in too many news sources and too much content. Um, totally. Apparently, I read some crazy stat, like in the first day of the Ukraine war, there's more content published on that than in the first two weeks of the Iraq war. Yeah, wow. Um, like just the way that, you know, content production has just evolved to be such a cycle. Um, I wonder for yourself, I mean, you, you know, you know that media has a strong way of skewing our perception of, of events. How do you consume media now as opposed to how you used to? Is TikTok sort of one of the ways that you get outside that mainstream news cycle? Yeah, absolutely. I saw on TikTok this morning a girl who found an abandoned Russian tank and then did a how-to of how to start it and drive it. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was real, it was great, you know. But um, yeah, I guess TikTok's one of them. But you have to obviously be careful. I do love um, BBC, mm -hmm. and I'd highly recommend France Twenty Four. I mm -hmm. think they're sort of really fair and just tell the news and don't really have too much of an agenda, which is hard to find these days. And they make a good documentary too. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I quite like the documentaries. Um, yeah, there's, there's been some amazing stories just from that kind of um, citizen journalism. Sean Penn hiding in a bunker in Ukraine. I mean, really? Yeah. I, didn't, I missed that. Did he put himself there on purpose? Or oh, so know? Sean Penn's over there? Yeah, he's, 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 he does find himself in prickly places at prickly times, often by design. I mean, I remember he was one of the the only people ever to have interview, interviewed um, uh, El Chapo Guzman. Yeah, right. He went to have an interview with him. It was just sort of published and widely, um, I, I'd say condemned mainly. Yeah. <laughs> but he does find himself in interesting places. I mean, I must admit though, man, it's pretty dangerous there at the moment. Oh, that's, yeah. That's ballsy. Very yeah. ballsy. Very, very ballsy. He might have just randomly been there, but what are the odds, you know? Yeah. Um, no, he's... Uh, he's yeah. definitely gone there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
loves I don't, I don't think I, I don't think many Hollywood celebrities have you know holiday homes in Ukraine. I'm not <laughs> sure that's the, that's a thing. But um, yeah, the other one was that really interesting thing about um, there's a photo of like uh, they're all under obviously orders to stay at home and in their bomb shelters, and then there's a Ukrainian guy um, just bike going for a bike ride yeah. in the streets with surrounded by tanks. It, that, was, that was incredible juxtaposition. Absolutely, I lo- and I love seeing stuff like that to really. But, I mean, you would have met some incredible people during your time and I did see in some of the footage of your of the reel that you put together you um, and, and some shots of Vladimir Klitschko. Klitschko. And the Klitschko brothers uh, have um, both taken to the front lines. Obviously, yeah. Vladimir was um, – I just read that he was ranked the ninth greatest pound-for-pound pound fighter of all time. Yeah. Um, incredibly massive heavyweight champion and his brother – almost more devastating in the ring but less reputed, um, was the mayor of Ukraine or is the right, mayor of Ukraine. Right. So they've both taken up arms. What's it like for you having spent time with Vladimir? I can't. I mean, it's hard to believe they, they've all taken up arms. It's insane. And this is like we obviously can talk more about that. But Klitschko, great bloke, mm. um, really exciting, mm. um, builds up a fight really well. Yeah. Um, had some guests come in and say they could take him and he's standing up. They started fighting in the sort of – uh, before the arena and, um, yeah. The press uh, conference prior. The, pre- the press conference, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's the one where they put their heads really close together and say, oh, fuck you, uh, you know, I'm exactly. better, you know, my training camp is better than your training camp, all that. Exactly, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, just in a country of 44 million and two of the most famous people in Ukraine who are the most, you know, these huge ripped sporting icons – and very popular in Germany, apparently too. Absolutely, um, have gone to fight on the front lines, yeah. isn't it? It's sort of very inspiring stuff. Inspiring and and really a statement. I mm. think um, that they will they'll fight to the death. I was listening to um, another podcast, um, Tim Dillon's podcast on Spotify. Very funny comedian, very outrageous. And he did an episode on Ukraine, and he was just saying, you know, imagine if this was America, everyone would just flee. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just imagine they said to I mean, we're, we're, by the way, anyone who's listening, we're laughing and joking about this war. I know it's super serious, but we're just, you know, it's a lighthearted stuff. We are broadening right? <laughs> the perspective and the conversation. Absolutely. Um, but can you imagine if they gave us rifles and said, hey, protect yourself against the invaders? Mm. No way, bro. And even, you know, um, a country that has the most gun ownership in the world would just be more guns than people would just be like, yeah, nah, I don't think so. My properties would be more important or whatever else, whereas you see it's it's just amazing to see a country of that size, minuscule, a fifth the size of Russia or whatever population-wise, putting up such a fight. It's 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 just incredible mm. and so impressive. Um, and to see the types of people who are willing to do it, um, you know, guerrilla warfare, um, they're shooting from, you know, um, window tops, rooftops around the corner. Um, what do they call the, the glass? Molotov cocktails. Molotov cocktails, yep. like... Um, once you throw one of them, your chances of being killed are quite high mm. and they're willing to put their life on the line to to sort of save their – will not be overtaken by Russia. I mean, far out, man. What do, you, what do you make of the geopolitics? And, and I mean, I know you're not a, an expert, but just as a person who spent a lot of time in that region and working for a news agency, what do you think Putin's thinking with this whole thing? I've been thinking a little bit about that and I think Putin's – I think just turned 70 or about to turn 70. He, there's two ways to look at it, but he, I think this is his sort of last hit to be remembered by. Um, As a legacy play? uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think because of that, he's shown how unpredictable he is. And there's been like a build up to this, and we thought it was happening, but no one actually thought he'd invade and, you know, kill innocent people and shell and go as aggressive as he has. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I think it's a legacy piece. I think he's making definitely a statement to the West. Um, He he feels cornered, um, I think, with the risk of NATO about to um, sign with Ukraine. He knows that that's sort of it. And, of course, he and Russia see Ukraine as as theirs. Uh, So he's trying to justify justify war um and i think i think he knows he can get away with it um do you know what do you think his political end is what does what does he want to achieve through this does he actually just want do you think he actually wants to take ukraine and make it russian territory he wants to yeah he wants to kill Zelensky um and klitschko and all of them and he wants to put in a puppet government 
and he wants to hold Ukraine, so then Russia has a bit more power. You see he's lost Poland, he's lost Lithuania, yep. he's lost Romania. He's um, So, yeah, and, and he believes, like I think it goes to this broader sense that he believes in the Eastern way, in the Russian way, in that old sort of iron fist mentality. Yeah. Right? He's old school, man. Yeah. And he's willing Former to intelligence it. operative uh, rose yeah. up through the ranks. Do you think his goal is to actually go beyond Ukraine and to recreate the Soviet Union? Well, this is the scary part. He's super unpredictable and we don't know. Um, no, I don't initially. I don't think he's that crazy. I think even this move he's put off for as long as he, he justifies he can. But now they're about to sign with NATO. He knows that he's backed into a corner. Um, it still definitely never justifies an invasion, but I believe from his side that's that's how they see it. And have you how have you interpreted the global response to what's going on in Ukraine? Do you, do you I mean, from my perception, I think it's, there's been a pretty good response. Um, a lot hasn't yeah. happened yeah. Um, in terms of direct intervention. There's sort of some reluctance around that, but in terms of global condemnation and finally getting around um, extreme financial sanctions and you know closing yeah. down airspace and flight routes and transport routes. Some good things happening? Yeah, absolutely. I think the sanctions are hitting them really hard, although I did hear that Putin's worth um, over, was it 20, 20 billion or 200 billion? So I think it'll be fine. <laughs> but yeah, I think with the sanctions, um, banning RT, um, I mean, what's going to happen to all the Russian people who travel to all of these countries, UK mainly, America, um, how do they feel and how are they meant to act? Well, that was going to be sort of a question that I had for you. I mean, we know kind of maybe what Putin's thinking or his mentality is. What is the mentality of the Russian people? And I'm sure there are a range of diverse perspectives and I do see some protests, but I believe it's pretty hard to run political protests in Russia. Well, yeah, it is. Uh, what was it? Um, 180 people were no. I'm mixing up my numbers. Mm. A lot of people were arrested mm. for protesting. Um, but I think it's that mentality, uh, you know, it's difficult to stand out to the government, to stand up to the government. Um, and we saw like last night in Four Corners what happens when you do that yep. and how strict they can be. Yeah. Um, I think the problem is is the majority of Russia believes what they're doing is right. They believe that they're saving the people of Ukraine. From what? Um, from this neo-Nazi um fake government that's come in and taken over Ukraine. Okay. That's what they've been told mm -hmm. by their media. And, and th th now we hit the biggest problem, controlled media. Um, 70, uh, uh, the Russian people consume, when it comes to news, it's 70% TV and all their channels are controlled in Russian media. There's mm -hmm. one that tries to push back and they've got immense pressure on them. So if you're fed certain media every day, for example, Fox News, um, you're going to believe that mm. media. And so here we go again. There's the problem. And what kind of access to Russians have um, to outside or uh, social media types of streams? Is everything legal there? Dude, I think I just heard they're banning, um, was it Twitter or TikTok or Facebook? No, they're banning Facebook. I think it's about to come in. Wow. Um, but... They're not as strict as China, but, yeah, I think it's restricted. But Russians are on, on TikTok, so I think there's more chance than ever that the word comes through. Mm. Um, like Zelensky's speech was meant to be for the Russian people. How many heard it? How many understood it and believed yep. it? Who knows? Um, it's hard to really measure this stuff. Moving away from Ukraine um, briefly, I mean, you touched on uh, Vladimir Klitschko. I think you touched on Mandela. What are some of the most interesting stories, events, that you've covered and people that you've spoken to along your um, video journalism journey? Oh, man. So many things come to mind. It was like a, uh, just a whole lot of different stories that happened all at one time. Um, I think, yeah, look, there's a number of stories to pick from, but I think the one that stands out to me just right now, I'm not sure why, was when I was doing a protest um, in Turkey, in Istanbul, one of the many times I travelled there, and um, out of nowhere the crowd was sort of advancing onto the police and so the police just opened fired and I had a drone up at the time um, covering the police line and the people line. This is a big protest, man. And uh, they started to open fire. Now, I didn't know then that they used rubber bullets. So I thought that they were real bullets. <laughs> people start scattering and running. I run down a side street. The drone's still in the air. So I've got the control in my hand. I'm not sure what's happening. 
after the fire stops, I run back, realise they're rubber bullets and my drone was coming down and was actually caught by one of the police, which I ran up to. He went to batter me and then realised when I started speaking English and handed me the drone. <laughs> but that was an example <laughs> of these crazy situations I'd, I'd land myself in. Yeah. Um, I must say, man, Brazil was amazing for the World Cup. Uh, the people that I met, uh, they just gave me a, a scooter, a camera and a, and a tripod and a small team for a couple of weeks. Wow. It was just a good time. Wow. Good time, yeah. I got to do the bikini babes, top five bikini babes and top five um, hot guys on the beach. So, you know, it was good Good times. It's great fun checking out the hot guys on the beach. Well, look, Respect. I had to. <laughs> You're all about I, balance. I get that. Yeah. Respect, yeah. respect. <laughs> uh, did you see some good football matches and some interesting players? Yeah, a few, but I didn't get to film and do all that, so I was onto the training and um, more of the politics behind that. So and that, so what year was that? Oh, good question. Um, I think that would have been 216. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. 216 Brazil. So oh. you would have had, was Ronaldinho there? Yeah. Yeah, and you would have had some of those big stars in yeah. the mix still? Yeah, yeah. I was more like covering, I remember like the Chilenos, the Chil- Chilean people um, storm the stadium and I was outside um, that game and they were so crazy to get in and see their team that they just stormed it and I was like, bro, this is mental. <laughs> I just love football so much. <laughs> I do love my football, probably not that much, but uh, interesting. And um, Mandela? Yeah, Mandela was, uh, was a really special experience because, of course, he'd passed away. So I got to see um, the people of South Africa come together. Um, uh, we we saw his body and and all the ceremonies and um, yeah, it was it was really special. It was a special event and also sort of eye opening to see South Africa come together for those couple of days. Um, there was sort of peace and um, the blacks and the whites sort of um, came together and everything was cool. Whereas. Um, yeah, it's, the tensions are high there mm-hmm. um, at the moment, obviously, and have been for a while for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was that was really cool. It was really special. And what about most interesting places that you visited, sort of like off off the beaten path countries or whatnot? Oh, I don't know. You're putting me on the spot here a bit. Sure am. Um, um, you can phone a friend if you want. Yeah, look, mate, I'm going to have to come back to you. I'm sort <laughs> of like I'm running through all these oh, – European countries, and it's it's quite a while ago now. No, that's um, all right. We'll, we'll leave that. Um, yeah. Maybe you can come back to it. Um, so do you miss your party boy lifestyle of uh, international travel, media, you know, top five hottest beach people kind of life? Because <laughs> you're, you're here in Melbourne with me in a co-work space. I know where I'd rather be. Uh, uh, absolutely. I miss the excitement of it. But, like, I was spending most of my life in hotel rooms, travelling around. It's super tiring. Mm. Um, and it becomes... Yeah, pretty uncreative. And do you like, feel a bit like um, you don't have a like a base? Do you feel absolutely. like a bit like a, a global citizen without a base? Really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember once I was in a, a taxi and a Russian guy was driving me. Um, I, th- I can't remember what country we were in, and I told him who I worked for, and he said, "You are a Russian soldier." <laughs> And I said, yeah, you're Trini Ryan. I am a bit of a Russian soldier. <laughs> oh, man, wow. But, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a lifetime ago, man. Yeah, and now, um, you, now you're a dad, uh, two under two, married in Melbourne, but you're going to be um, shipping out soon. I am a dad, yeah. That's all happened in the last couple of years and, and, and Ari and I both, uh, yeah, we're two under two, so we're – Busy parents. You went the whole hog. You, you just thought, fuck it, it doesn't seem that hard. We'll just do it all. Yeah, well, it's sort of um, – I won't go into that story too much. But, um, <laughs> it, we, yeah, it, it happened quicker than what we thought, that's for sure. Yeah. But um, two boys under two, so it's great fun. Two lovely boys, might I add. Thanks, Mike. Gorgeous. Cheers, gorgeous man. kids. And Cheers. dog. And dog and Linus. We love the Linus. Poor Linus. He's been forgotten a bit. Yeah. He was, he was always the favourite, but, you know – now he's number three. He's pretty oh, number four after me. Oh, well, he's probably before me. Number three is not bad in your family pecking order. Oh. Still get plenty of love. True that. <laughs> True that. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to say here. <laughs> um, so you come back and Gosfor. Tell us about Gosfor. Yeah, so I came back from Berlin and I was um, director producer in Berlin for a few years after I left RT and Ropley. Um, and I made Real Soldiers and I made another short film called The Hunters and did a bunch of commercials in between. But when I came back to Australia, I really wanted to start my own thing and not work as a, as a freelance director-producer. So I started 
Goss 4 Media originally had Goss Films, which I still have, but Goss 4 is really the commercial front. So the goal of Goss 4 is um, basically what we do is bring cinematic, filmic-like lead um, campaigns, you know. And um, we sort of believe that it all starts with a video. We believe video is number one. A lot of agencies, you go in and it's about the logo, which we do. We do graphic design and we do, you know, the web stuff and we do photography. Mm. And they're all very important, don't get me wrong, but I'm really a believer, be it a six-second video or a five-minute sort of piece that you can tell um, such a story, a great story for, yeah, brands. So... Yeah, that's basically Goss Four. There's um, there's five of us, and we're based in and around Melbourne. And so, um, shouldn't yeah. you be Goss Five? Have you thought about that? Change? Yeah. Well, look, it's growing a bit more than what I thought. But four's my yeah. favourite number, man. If you have a number, <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it has to relate to something. You know, you can't just choose a random number. Actually, four's my favourite number as well. So, it, really, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So that's, there must be something special I'll about a four. Little fist bump there, man. Little that's fist so bump. Funny. There is some talk that um, with you impending departure to the United States, that you're going to actually give up your title as A1 to the other Andrew A2 and he's going to be A1. Have you heard about this? That is ridiculous. Controversial, isn't it? Controversial. I'm going to be A2. As long as I'm still holding rankers in one of the the twos. Look, in fairness, he does have a company called A1, so... actually does. Yeah, it does. Oh, dude. So He can have it. This is like giving up the 007. It is. I think we should have a formal ceremony in which you pass the baton over to the rightful owner of A1. Oh, careful when you say rightful owner. (laughs) That's just... (laughs) Sorry, mate. Too easy, Mike. Too far. Too far. Just just for your (laughs) listeners, there's two Andrews and we work a bit together and hang out together. We actually started a collaboration called Andrew and Andrew. That's how much we sort of love each other. So... Um, and I somehow scored A1 and he scored A2. I think that was – anyway, not sure who's doing Well, I'm, I'm going to leave that to you two to sort out. Happy to yeah. mediate, but I think we, we move on from that one. I don't want to cause too much upset amongst our listener base. But, Mike, am I – I'm not sure where you're heading, but am I allowed to um, – I mentioned to you about comparing – Russian news to yeah. sort of Western news. To be honest, I'm never sure where I'm heading, so I would love that. Okay, cool. So what I thought, which is just incredible every time I do it as I open my laptop, is to sort of compare. Um, so everyone sort of knows what they're seeing in Western news. I could bring up BBC or something. While you're doing that, I'll just give a little snapshot because this is all audio. Sure. Andrew's come with a, a big MacBook Pro, <laughs> uh, sort of newish edition, a weird pen-looking thing. He's got his phone. He's brought a wonderful blended Scotch whiskey that is sort of piling on through, and he's got two. <laughs> he's got one to two cans of Red Bull. This guy is okay. ready. Look, the, the Red Bull is actually what I grabbed out of the fridge because I'm type one diabetic. <laughs> yeah. And when my sugars go down, I want to I want to have something to to bring me up. So but, you um, make me feel bad about making a health related comment now. That's fine. No, that's. <laughs> <laughs> so if I if I bring up, and the reason for doing this is mm. obvious, right? To realize what um, Russian news is telling us or the public compared to um, Western news, and um, this was the whole point of the short film I made. Yeah, um, this is sort of. More and more people are aware of this now, which is great. I'll pop a link to the short film in the show notes if you like as well. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Okay, so these are the, the headlines. Japan sanctions Putin. Biden comments on nuclear warfare. US expels dicl- diplomats from Russian UN mission. Hunter Biden's partner gets prison sentence. Putin slams West. Empire of lies. Facebook restricts EU users. Access to RT and Sputnik. Ukraine goes visa-free for foreign fighters. Um, now, if you compare, like, it feels like news, okay? Yeah, yeah. It, it feels like, oh, wow, I'm informed. Mm-hmm. But, like, what, what about, well, what's your what about the people that? dying in Ukraine? That's RT. That's RT. So that's RT International, just the English-speaking one. By the way, RT is on more screens than CNN. They've got 24-hour channels in Arabic, French, Spanish, English, German, and I'm missing one. That's incredible. Mate, they pump money into it hard. So if we go to BBC, we're like, huge convoy of Russian armor advanced on Kiev. Um, look, I won't go into it. We all know what our news sort of says. But I think, I think it's, just, um, it's just incredible. And I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of happy that EU has sort of cracked down and banned them. 
It's me really, too. Yeah, it's really difficult. Like the um, the RT and Ruppley office in Germany was office at the US Embassy right near the Brandenburg Gate, which anyone who's visited Berlin knows is a prominent position. You've got a lot of um, important Russian people um, appearing there. It's a beautiful building and it's it's almost cheeky what they're doing. So I, I do love it when governments sort of stand up at a time like this and say, hey, no more. Um, it's debatable. Um, a lot of my friends would say, you shouldn't silence press and everyone has the right to say what they want to say, but when it's all funded by yeah. the Russian state. Well, this is the thing that you say in your short film in general is that you've got to know who's funding the media you're consuming. Mm. Um, do you have tips for people to sort of be a bit more aware of where their news is coming from and to sort of maybe put a bit more of a truth filter on what they're consuming? Yeah, my, it actually got a flashback to when you were reading the paper one day at The Age. Mm. The Age is an example of they've really changed their position. They've sort of slid... Um, more to the right or to centre-right, which is interesting. Um, So, yeah, I think just be aware of what you're reading and always question both sides. It's tough to do, man. It is hard. And it's even hard given different cycles politically and, you know, like because journalism and the way they portray stories also changes depending on the relationships between the key actors in those stories and the publishers. Absolutely. Um, And I think that explains a bit of the age drift from what I'm told from the left to the right. Um, super interesting stuff. But do you think – what do you think that the future of video journalism and news is? Is it sort of TikTok and citizen journalism? Is there room for kind of small um, uh, crowdfunded agencies, you know, community support models? Dude, it's, it's quite scary because I think it's the same for all video. I think this sort of TikTok quick, quick video model is the way forward. Um, so, yeah, I do. I still think the news channels will use that and make an informed story about it that we can consume. Uh, But, yeah, I do. I do think that's the way forward, Um, more of these channels and news channels, um, uh, which is also concerning because you don't know what you're seeing on TikTok and what you can trust. Yeah. So one thing that comes to my mic that I sort of want to ask you, I guess. I get a question. Yeah, you get a question. Yeah, yeah, it's like rapid fire here. Been waiting for 32 minutes, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Has been 32, goodness me. Um, the, the the weird question is: Is this difference in media and opinion? Mm. Why in this state, two thousand and twenty-two? Why can't Russia and Europe, or let's say the West and the East, get along? Mm. What do you reckon? The, tell me. Um, values and ideology and history uh, would be the three things I think about. Do you um, think Europe's at fault, or do you think Russia is, or both? No, I think global interventionism is on the decline. Um, I've said to you before that I think that the um, the death knell for like a global response to you know horrible acts of warfare was um, the withdrawal of the US troops from Afghanistan. And I'm not saying that it was Biden's fault. Yes, he was in the post when it happened, yeah. and maybe it was a plan that was already in train. So maybe it would have happened anyway under Trump or Biden. But that decision to exit um, Afghanistan and, effen- and effectively just hand over the keys to the Taliban. Um, I think Russia and China both saw that and said, now is the time, if ever we're going to sort of assert our territorial um, or, or um, territorial claims, extraterritorial claims, now's the time to do it because the US has been weakened by both COVID and a lack of, um, that they've seen what, you know, being the drivers of the Iraq war and global conflict has led to a severely ravaged economy. Um, and they also know that Europe is quite soft. Um, and can easily be just sort of, you know, they won't really step in. I think NATO, um, I wouldn't call it a toothless tiger, but it, it's certainly not a, mili- a global like world police kind of thing anymore. Um, mm. It's more of a body that just sort of says stuff and gets mm. people together to say threatening things. I think they're ramping up now though. That, that, think, that's yeah. good and yeah, so yeah. they should be um, because what's happening is terrible. But I just, I really do think that the world is divided now between a sort of communist, socialist, state-controlled ideology of mm. Russia and China mm. and the rest of the free democratic world mm-hmm. uh, with, with some obvious differences in things like um, social welfare and other Absolutely. considerations. If, if I was to simplify it, yeah. right, I think if, if you look at America and Russia and Putin's been the leader for that bloody long, mm. let's just say Putin and the rest of the West, I feel like it's two friends that never really liked each other because they had, I don't know, different religions Mm. or different beliefs when they were younger. But 
Gosh, Putin's a stubborn bastard. Oh, yeah. He, he's an old-school dictator, though. He, oh, he's like man. a kind of intelligence-born KGB, former spy, becomes leader. And yeah. just like um, Xi took the reins of the, the Communist Party after being in the Communist Party and, you know, all these various agencies for a long time, um, you get a certain type of leader. Yeah. It's an autocratic leader. And um, it's a my way or the highway kind of leader. Mm. Now, the, the difference between before and now is that the balance of power has shifted hugely to the east. So from America to China and Russia. Yeah. Um, politically. Oh, you put them together then. Yeah, I do. So you're, you're, you team them up automatically. Don't team them up, but I say they have um, they have more in common than they do. Sure. Like there's more there's more like common ground there for them to be useful tag team partners in the region than the US and either of them. Would you regard them as tag team partners? I wouldn't call them allies. I'd call them strategic. Um, I'd call them tag team partners. <laughs> would you? <I'd laughs> no, call, no, no, no. <laughs> I'd call them. I'd call them like happy bedfellows. So yeah. like they're they're in the game together. They're spreading autocracy in that region. Um, they have similar ideas. You know, a lot of Chinese communism came from Russian communist yeah. socialism and, and whatnot. And there's obviously, you know. They share the, land as well. Share Absolutely. land. Yeah. There's also the thing around um, state-owned enterprises and state Absolutely. state intervention in the way people live their lives. Probably so the only flight path they could take these days. There's not, <laughs> there's not many flight paths left. But um, <laughs> I have a different thing that I'd like to just – Brush on with you. Sure. It's obviously insignificant in the greater sense of the global um, conflict that we're in right now. Um, but cryptocurrency. So that was that was a shift. It's a shift because I found it quite interesting. Just I wondered whether Bitcoin um, and some crypto would skyrocket because there's a lot of people in the world who are saying, "Oh, unstable governments. We mm. need something that we can decentralize mm. to put our money into." A lot of Russian wealthy people might try and get their money out through Bitcoin, um, you know, or Ukrainians or, or whatnot. And um, it's gone up in the in the conflict in the past five days. I think Bitcoin's gone up 15% mm. um, and Ethereum's gone up 12%, which is so, quite interesting, whereas the, the dollar, the US dollar's also risen. Yeah. Uh, markets have been battered a little bit, but the US mm. currency has sort of, um, you know, yeah. sort of gone, it's well correlated. The, like just being in it for, um, let's say, four years now. Yeah. The crypto market is the hardest to sort of predict. Oh, yeah, because like well. Putin, it's totally unpredictable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So obviously recently there was a big fall in the crypto market. Yeah. So the fact you say, for me, oh, it's up 15%, I go, thank God. At least we're halfway back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really hard to predict. You did um, send an article about Ukrainians um, going into crypto more because they can't get their money, right? Yeah. So it's a great way to like put your money somewhere safe. Yeah. Um, I wonder whether that means that war is actually a good thing for cryptocurrency, which is which is kind definitely. of it's yeah. a driver for it. Yeah. Like global conflict make people uncertain, makes them get out of currency into Bitcoin. Yeah. It's just interesting, I guess, from like a market perspective, what the fallout is. And I'm actually, I'm actually surprised Russia hasn't had a massive sort of influx of crypto, considering their dollars down what thirty something percent. Oh, their sanctions! They, they've like, crashed hard. I, I heard that the rubles flatlined, um, and their stock exchange isn't running. Um, I used to actually. Oh, they just closed it. They just said, they just no, closed close it. it up. Yeah, close it up. <laughs> We had this interesting chat the other day where I said to you, I don't think sanctions work on an autocratic government because they don't care about money. They care about control over people. But I'm starting to realise that eventually, you know, although Putin might be happier to see his people starve than to not win in Ukraine, um, this is a huge economic response against Russia. And I think it's starting to take its toll. And yeah. even Putin knows that it's not sustainable to... Well, yeah, that, and I'm surprised he hasn't pulled back already. Yeah, me so too. we've got we've got like the financial part of things. Right, mm. Russia's going to go broke. Yeah, um, I saw last night that Putin promised um, years ago that the um, that people would be earning a lot more, and they're not. No, they're, they're earning like less than eight hundred a month or mm. something, right? So they're struggling there, and. Yeah, I just sort of wonder with – I brought it up with you briefly, but guerrilla warfare, I've been speaking to someone who is a US sort of Marine and high up and has been involved in the um, Q8 and I think he said the Panama sort of mm. – um, anyway. 
And he was talking to me about guerrilla war and how effective it is. And I think Ukraine's aware of this and Russia didn't think that Ukrainians would fight to the death. I think Putin's been watching his own um, news channels too much. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, oh, no, no, we're going to go in and save You know what he thought? He thought he'd get on a horse, take his shirt off and just ride on into Kiev. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, you're not far off. And, of course, they're going to fight to the death. They're around every corner. You'd need hundreds of thousands of more um, military to sort of take control and then to hold control of Kiev. Mm. How are you planning to do that? With no, it's, no, it's crazy. It's not going to happen. There's 44 million people who will fight in that country and I think everyone, just about everyone's with them. And so once they start like winning or doing better, hopefully the, 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 the rest that have fled to Poland will jump over the border and jump back in. <laughs> Well, let's not make any more bold predictions because this will come out in a few weeks and uh, we could be proven well right or wrong. Oh, right. Uh, so oh, let's uh, let, let's shelve it for now. Good Ukraine discussion. Mm. Um, what I Just coming back to GOS4 briefly, I mean, sure. what you said about making ads more cinematic and going back to video, yeah. have your clients received that? Because it seems to me to be just so strong and kind of it's like you're bringing movie-making skills to commercials. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly it. And I love the process of filmmaking, um, producing and directing, you know, bringing your team together, um, writing a script, telling a great story and um, putting it together for a brand. So, yeah, I think our clients are really happy. Um, we're growing and, yeah, we, we really enjoy it. So, you know, we did a little, um, what's it called? The uh, Portfolio? The, the post when you do a post, but it's not a podcast, I'm stuck anyway. We wrote about um, how... A blog. A blog. Yeah. That's right. Brenna does it. Yeah. Shout out to Brenna. Um, that the, the same people and the same cameras who make the cinema in Australia, we work with and we make um, ads, you know. It's the same Ari Mini. It's the same, you know, directors. It's so, well, a lot of the time. So I think there's just so many similarities. It's the same process. The only thing I love about it is it's so much shorter. You can get an ad done in a couple of days. Um, films and series take a lot longer. So, yeah, um, I, I, yeah, it's, um, it's you're it's, obviously uh, very good at it, and you love doing it. I, I watch some of your commercials, and even though I don't wear makeup or drive expensive cars, I really liked your <laughs> style and. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Also, you've you've done stuff for uh, you've done a podcast separately um, that, that you're great at, and the content oh, thanks, that you produce from that's really first rate. So, I would recommend you and Goss for absolutely to anyone. I have, and um, oh, thank you, Mike. You know, you've been good to me as well. You helped me put together our promotional kit, which is in the show notes, also. Um, so, yeah, I mean, big shout out to the work you do, the quality, and also just the artistic creativity you bring to work. Thank you, Mike. Mm. I really appreciate that, mate. Pleasure, and mate. straight back at you, like humans of purpose. What a podcast. It's um <laughs> it's my number one listen to podcast and it's yeah, I love it. It's amazing. So it's a, it's like a real honor to be asked to be on here, mate. Mate, it's a total pleasure. Um have you decided which United States city you're gonna base yourself in in the near future? Ooh. Look, we're just dropping in. Yep. We're just dropping in. It's a drop in. in. But, it's um, a six month drop it's, in. It's it's looking like Austin. Boston. Austin. Austin. Boston. No, A-U-S-T-I. No, Ari hates Boston. She had to... Too cold. Yeah, she, she, she loathes it. Of course, Ari lived in New York and I was there a bit back and forth. Yep. So New York's also on the cards. Mm-hmm. But uh, Austin seems... Austin's you know, sick. You exciting, have, affordable. Looks amazing. HBO, Netflix, Joe Rogan, you <laughs> Joe know. Joe Rogan, everyone. Lex, Lex Friedman, Matthew McConaughey. Lex Friedman, okay. Yeah, Lex Friedman's pretty special. Um, Tim Dillon's out there. Oh, a lot cool. of comedians. Um, you can go to Rogan's new comedy club when you go out there. Yeah, right. Look, I think I don't think we should talk about Rogan anymore because he's been widely cancelled. Um, Has he? Yeah, interesting to and see. And by the way, his comedy, like... Between you, like, yeah, it's uh, pretty poor. Yeah, let's stick to poor. good podcast, great podcast. <laughs> good. Well, when he's not talking about COVID, he's good, and his comedy's not good. Mm. So it's like, yeah, his, his value is sort of decreased. I think a little bit. This is um, Ari and I's concern. Mm. Right? It's like this sort of Texan approach to not only COVID but politics, which is just a little like we want to keep our guns. It's like, oh. well, I just I hope for your <laughs> sake that um, no one has to have an abortion in your family in the, in oh, the upcoming Jesus. period. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. That's going really too no, far. No, no, no. Um, but yeah, it is. It is a weird, like Wild West kind of. It reminds me of Yellowstone a little bit. Um, right. It's just kind of Wild West a little bit. But um, 
Yeah, I was going to say with censorship and sort of being aware of what's in the media and what isn't, wasn't the Spotify response to Rogan interesting with the sort of like we're going to introduce, you know, warnings when there's things that are not mainstream views and whether that's necessary. But as I look down um, at uh, the, the Rogan feed, because I do like some of his stuff, um, yeah. I think he goes, he's gone off the boil a little bit with his hobby horses like COVID and Flat Earth and all this kind of. You know, He's not a flat earth believer, is he? Nah, but you know, he, he, he UFO stuff, he goes pretty deep. Yeah, uh, I, I like the UFO stuff. So actually. do I. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. a lot of it's like, it's believable. It's believable. Some serious stuff there. He's done some good stuff there. But in if you scroll down his feed, um, all the any podcast in which he mentions COVID has a little learn about COVID nineteen question mark on it. Right. So yeah, a little it's precaution. Just, it's very interesting. I mean, they kind of have. I wonder if other media will start to do this a bit more. I mean, podcasts other than Spotify based podcasts really are the wild west. You know, we don't have to put disclaimers or warnings. Yeah. We're completely independent. Sure. We, we might be the last bastion of total editorial independence. Yeah. But, um, you know, I wonder what will happen in that space in the future. Um, you know, will we all be forced to kind of put um, disclaimer labels or, you know, notes about our history or our perspective yeah. to sort of frame the, the content? Well, it's like a breath of fresh air when you say a joke like the abortion joke, right? Mm. It's like valid and, and, and funny, but I felt like scared to laugh. Oh, yeah. It's a strange time right now, man. It's bizarre. You know? You can't really talk about stuff openly, but the, the idea of not being able to get an abortion for, that's a woman's choice in any circumstance is, for, to me, just like beyond ridiculous. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, so Texans are crazy, but you will have great barbecue if you go there. <laughs> and comedy. <laughs> Seriously, mate. You're funny. The the pork ribs that you're going to be able to get in oh. Texas will be mm. off the charts. The comedy and live music scene, apparently fantastic. You can even meet up with Tim Ferriss for a coffee. Oh, he's, wow, he's it's Tim Ferriss, sir. Yeah. See, I don't know what's going on there, but something's going on. And mate, that's why it's, I'm excited it's the to new, get there. It's the new... It's, um, it's, humping, it's pumping, isn't it? It's, it's like, a new Silicon Valley, I reckon. Yeah. Um, for creatives and artists and tech entrepreneurs and all that jazz. Yeah, cool. So lots of opportunity for you out there. Um, mate, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Oh my god, I can't believe it's over. Can you drop any hints about your new uh, v- venture in the in the ooh. states? Or you're a bit reluctant? No, no, uh, definitely. It's um, it's a little startup that we that we've started up called Watertight.co. Very exciting. Um, so a big reason why we're going to Austin. So if um, yeah, any influencers or talent like actors. Or on the other side, agencies or production companies, you should get on the waiting list at watertight.co and keep an eye on us, um, get involved. Very exciting stuff. Oh, That's all I'm allowed to say at the moment. Yep. So. Is the video there? Can people check out the intro video? I think it is, but after saying that, I'll probably rip it down. <laughs> it's, <just> like, <laughs> it's great. It's no. great. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's all there. Fantastic. So jump on our waiting list and... Um, yeah. Well, that's the watertight um, intel. What about Thanks, if people man. want to connect with you or Goss4 or learn a bit more about your work? Sure. Just reach out. Yeah, we're on um, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, website, goss4.com. Um, don't hesitate. Yeah, we'd love to chat. And, I just um, love to chat video, man, and yeah. building brands. So reach out. And um, if people want to talk to you personally, do you want to give an email or LinkedIn or what's best? Um, yeah, just whatever. Go email. Yep. Andrew at goss4.com. Awesome. Easy. Bro, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Mike. I mean, you're already here, so it was convenient. I feel like we didn't cover enough political stuff. I feel like we've left it unturned, but hey. Could be a part two to come. (laughs) I'd love that. I'm going to see if I can get this released a little bit earlier so we can be more current and timely. For sure. Mm. Thanks, Mike. Mate, thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure.